This episode of Decisions That Matter, a pre-curated podcast, features a wonderful interview with Jason Steinman about adding value to supplier relationships by collaborating and working towards long-term relationships that foster growth and innovation for both parties. This episode is also brought to you by NIGP, the Institute for Public Procurement. This coming August and September, NIGP will be incubating big ideas with daily impact at the premier public procurement event of the year. Visit nigp.org events to register for virtual forum this August 23rd to 26th and the new NIGP Forum Leadership Summit September 11th to 14th. Hope you all enjoy this episode and have a great day. Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast, where we meet with leaders from across the procurement community to discuss innovative and strategic ideas. Because when it comes to procurement, every decision matters. Welcome to the Decisions That Matter podcast. I'm your host, Alex Stonehouse. And with me today is my co-host, Bernadette Lowney. And we are also joined by Jason Steinman, who's here to talk to us about adding value to supplier relationships. Thanks for joining us today, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about how you got into the public sector, into the procurement space, um, and then we'll drive into the topic from there. Excellent. So I have been in procurement for nearly 10 years. It'll be 10 years this July. And I began my career by working in the private sector for a manufacturing company. And when I got hired, I told my dad, who's been in procurement for almost 35 years, that I was working in procurement. And after he congratulated me and told me how proud he was, he said, Whatever you do, get out as fast as you can because it's a thankless job. And here I am still. After after being in the private sector for about two and a half years, I jumped ship and I made my way over to the public sector. And I've been here for nearly seven years. I work for Granite School District in Salt Lake City, Utah, and I love it. It's a great place to work and it's great people to work with. That's awesome. So having been around procurement through your dad, maybe knowing more about it than others might have growing up, did you want to enter purchasing or did you still kind of have that journey of falling into it, which we hear from so many other people in the space? Yeah, it's very true. I am, and I fall into that category. I 100% fell into it. My plan was to do procurement for just a few years until I got into grad school. And then I was going to completely shift direction and do something different. And life has a funny way of changing on you. And I was still able to go to grad school and opted to continue with procurement. That's awesome. What a great story. And I love that from your dad. I think we had another guest um, that had a similar kind of thing that her dad was like, what? Like, you're doing this too? Like, please find something else. But she, she loved it. And it's such challenging and interesting work. What we're super excited to talk to you about today is the buyer-supplier relationship and what what we can do from the buyer side of things to cultivate that relationship to, to create as much value as possible for both sides. So just to get right into it, I'd love to hear, you know, why is this a topic that you are passionate about and why is this so important to talk about today? So for me, people have has always been a passion. Um, It's no secret to my director or to people that I associate with in the industry that the actual function of purchasing something is not a passion. And I think most 
of my colleagues would agree with that, that they're not waking up in the morning thinking, oh my gosh, what do I get to purchase today? But rather it's all the ancillary things that we get to do as purchasing professionals um, that we find value in. And for me, working with people, um, whether it be end users, suppliers, to create and develop relationships that ultimately solve problems and add value is what I'm genuinely passionate about. And being able to work directly with suppliers to manage the relationship with them is something that I have striven for my entire career. And when I moved from the private sector into the public sector, it was a massive transition because in the private sector, I was so used to having partnerships that didn't require a lot of bidding, a lot of quoting or anything like that. Instead, I could just honestly do whatever I wanted. And as long as I was adding value to my organization, coming into the public sector, my initial thought was that I needed to keep all of my relationships at an arm's length. And so I had to navigate, how can I add value by developing partnerships with my vendors and my suppliers without coming across as not being fair, transparent, or open? And that took me a little bit of time. I think it's important that we realize in the public sector that we, in fact, can have very strong partnerships. We just have to do some work on the front end to get there. And once we've done that front end work, we can add immense value to our organizations and our agencies by having very strong supplier uh, buyer relationships. And I've striven to do that in my career. What do you feel like you look for the most when you're trying to find a supplier who not only can solve problems that you're looking to, to solve now, whether it's a service or somebody who can give you the goods that you need um, in the short term, but also someone who's going to be a long-term partner with you? Well, I've discovered is that most suppliers want to have a partnership. They are not looking for a one and done interaction and then move on and have to do all of the legwork that comes into finding new customers. The cost of customer acquisition is so high that they would rather do it one time and create a partnership. And for us, for me at least, I would prefer that as well. We know that the bidding process, the proposal process is arduous and time consuming. And I would so much rather do that one time find a partner that works. And at least for the state of Utah, where I am, we're allowed to enter into contracts for a maximum of five years before having to resolicit. And so how nice to be able to have a partner that I can rely on and guarantee for five years. And so in order to guarantee or ensure that I have the right partner in place requires a lot of groundwork at the beginning and ensuring that the solicitation process at the beginning is solid. So for example, I recently had a contract that I wanted to create for playground surfacing. Here in the state of Utah, that is a very, very competitive commodity and service. There are very few vendors who do it here and they all know each other and they're very knowledgeable on the industry. And so it's a little cutthroat. And we have had experience in the past that was not ideal for what we needed done. And so I sat down with my end users and we determined that we wanted a solid partner for the next five years that we could work with and that would meet our needs. 
and we baked all of our needs into our specifications so that when they provided their proposal and we did an RFP process, when they provided their proposal, they had to outline exactly what they were going to do to meet our needs. And that was beneficial because then it allowed us to see, okay, what are they going to do? How are they going to do it? And then if during the process, they fail to sit to live up to those requirements, I then have some teeth where I can go back and say, you know what, you said you would do these things. You're not being the partner that we thought you would be. How can we make these corrections? And I think that's critical in the supplier-buyer relationship as well, is being able to be open and honest and transparent with each other when things aren't working on either side and looking for ways to solve those problems within the contract. And I've discovered that when that happens, the contract adds immense value to not only myself, but to my agency. That was a great example. Thanks for that, Jason. One quick thought that I, I'm curious on is you mentioned the five-year time frame. Um, and obviously, if there's a glaring issue, you can reach out and talk to the supplier at any time. Um, but how often do you all do kind of just the standard ongoing vendor management type of evaluations? Do you look at their performance every year, every six months, or does it kind of depend on the type of supplier or the type of contract that they're working on? So it absolutely depends on the type of supplier and the type of contract that we are working on. If it is something like the example I just provided with playground surfacing, that is something that we're looking at every single job they do, we're evaluating their performance. Did you provide us with the surfacing we requested? Did you live up to the quotes? Did you live up to the terms and conditions? So that we're looking at every single project because every single project is such a high dollar value we have to monitor that. Other contracts, if it's just a simple, so I have a contract, for example, with a supplier to furnish or to supply athletic equipment for my warehouse. They're simply just drop shipping items. I don't need to monitor that. That is simply a once a year when the contract comes up for renewal, we have a meeting to discuss how's the relationship, how is pricing, have you seen any changes in pricing we need to consider? And then we move on. So it is purely dependent upon the, the supplier and the contract. And I think that is what makes supplier relationship management really effective is you have to keep it flexible. You cannot have a one size fits all. Of course, you can have some key indicators for suppliers across the board delivery um, terms and condition compliance, invoice compliance. But I think as a, as a buyer to add the most value, I have to be flexible with the contract in the relationship and making sure that it meets the needs of the supplier and myself. So I love in that example you gave about the playground construction that you went and met with your end users and you guys decided that you wanted to find a long-term partner and your next supplier. Can you talk us through a little bit what that conversation looks like? I don't know if so if, is that a conversation you've had with them before in the past for other contracts? I don't know if some of our listeners might be people that are having these conversations for the first time with their end users. So what does that look like? That's that's an amazing question. And I think that the key, what I have, what I have learned, and I've, I've learned this the hard way, is that I'm not an expert. I don't know about playground surfacing. I did not go to school for playground surfacing. I don't know what that is. I didn't go to school about how to design uh, a room so that furniture fits perfectly, right? 
I have to rely on my end users to effectively communicate their needs so that then I can bake those needs into a solicitation and into a contract. And I think one thing that I, I, I was listening to a previous podcast where uh, Darren Matthews was talking about how do we bring in Gen Z? How do we bring in millennials? What skills are needed for that? And one thing that I think is so necessary is the ability to communicate clearly needs, but to understand needs as well. I think the number one thing we can do is asking questions. And so what that conversation looks like is me sitting down with an end user and saying, explain to me what need you're trying to fulfill. And then hopefully having the enough experience on my side to see what risks might come up as a part of those needs and, and how can we mitigate those risks. For me, those conversations are brainstorming sessions where there's a lot of questions being asked and where we are hashing out all possible scenarios that may occur in the contract. The other thing that I find myself having to do a lot with the end user conversation is delineate between needs and wants, because a lot of times my end users come with this huge list of wants, and I have to kind of pare that down and say, okay, what, what do you actually need? Because all of these wants sound like we're going to put ourselves into a corner. So let's make sure we develop a contract that is inclusive of what you need and yet broad enough that should something surprising happen, we can at least work with the partner to, to figure out a solution. That's a great answer. Has there been anything in those conversations that have surprised you over the years? Yeah, you know, yes. And they're, they're frustrating. They're mostly frustrating things that surprise me because I, like, for example, right now, so my district has standardized on an office furniture that we give to administrators and district personnel when we, when we switch out. And I'm working right now with a department that doesn't want that and is going rogue. And it's in those moments where I then have to put on my, my balancing hat where I say, okay, how do I fulfill a need that they clearly have, and I validate that need, with a standard that we've already gone with, that we have worked extensively with a partner to develop, how do I manage these things? Because at the end of the day, I have to have a good relationship with the partner, with the supplier partner, but I also have to have a good relationship with my end user. So how do I bring these two things together? And so, yes, there are things that are surprising. And I find that in those moments, I have to balance. I have to balance both sides. Sometimes I, I ask myself the question, am I doing enough to make sure that I'm going to bat for my agency? Um, because I then I have to ask myself, am I doing enough to go to bat for the suppliers as well? Because I view my role as a public servant who's trying to be fair, open, and transparent with public funds to give everyone a fair shot and to make sure suppliers have an opportunity to work with us and to work with us fairly. So yeah, it's a management game and I have been surprised several times and it's sometimes tricky and difficult, but you manage. Can I ask um, what solution you ended up finding for that furniture example? So we are still in the process. Um, my vendor today came back with alternate solutions, which is why I love this partner. They're actually my best partner that I work with. They came back with solutions because they had provided some options based on what the end user had said 
end user comes back and says, did you even come to the meeting? Like, that's not what we said at all. And instead of getting offended or upset, the supplier comes back and says, I hear you. Here are some other options. What do you think of this? And not only that, but if we need to have another meeting, a face-to-face -face meeting, let's do that so we can work through solutions. And I appreciate my vendor doing that without me having to make a phone call or send an email. They just did it. That's kind of the the why of this whole conversation here. So you find these great, great vendors who are in it for the long haul and they want to have these long-term relationships um, and that's how they're going to respond and they're going to absolutely 100% at the end of the day my goal is to add value to my organization their goal is the same so why don't we work together to add ultimate value to both of our organizations can you tell me a little bit about how the school district operates in tandem with all of the schools within the district from what I could tell online you're actually a pretty darn big school district um like it looks like there's almost 100 schools or around that level, yeah. um, 10 high schools, like you have an, as many students as a small city, like 60,000 plus students in the district. Um, obviously, that requires a lot of moving pieces, deliveries to all kinds of different buildings. Um, what type of, of contracts do you handle at the kind of overall district level? And then what things do people have control of in the individual schools? um or any any type of information you can give on how that relationship works yeah so we you are right alex we are a very big district we are not the biggest in utah but we are quite large we work on what i refer to as a centralized decentralized system um so in our district i generally will only see things if they're above five thousand dollars Everything else is taken care of on a school level for our secondary schools. And then um, anything on the elementary level, we're usually taken care of. But we heavily rely upon our purchasing card program um, as well as uh, what we call pay voucher program. And so purchase orders are usually only sent for things that are, are high dollar value. And that's at least where we're trying to move in that direction. So our role as a purchasing department is to look um, for those trends in purchases that are happening frequently and often enough to try to create contracts so that our, our end users aren't having to get quotes. We have the lowest dollar threshold for quotes in the state of Utah. Our district does, it's $500. So any purchase that is over 500, our end users have to get two quotes. That can become very taxing, especially if you're uh, a coach, an athletic coach, or if you're, um, even if you're just like a part-time employee, your role is to teach and to coach and to train and to, to do things other than purchasing. And so having to constantly get quotes for $900 purchases is a little taxing. So what we try to do is find those trends and create contracts so that they're able to process those things uh, quickly and efficiently on their own with their P cards or um, on the school level. And then on, on the district level with the larger procurements, um, we heavily utilize state of Utah contracts. We are very, very lucky here in the state of Utah to have an excellent relationship with our state division of purchasing. And they are very receptive to us when we say, hey, we have a need across school districts for 
widgets. Can you please create a solicitation for widgets? And they're very, very good about being responsive and doing that. We also, one of the, one of the best things I, that I love about the state of Utah is we're a very tight knit procurement community. And so we are very good at collaborating, collaborating with other districts, with cities and counties, and trying to pull together those commodities or services that we're all using and create collective contracts. I know that's different for some states. I've talked to other um, individuals through NIGP um, and just my network that it's not like that everywhere. So we're very grateful to have that here. Um, and that's mostly how it works for us. It's a lot of organizing. I tell people all the time that we are a massive ship. I've been here seven years. I've been trying to get 21st century classroom furniture to be a thing in my district. And it is taking seven years to steer the ship and it is not an easy thing to do. But slowly and surely things do happen and change. That's great. And it's interesting to hear you mention um, the example of the athletic coaches, because when you think about school procurement, you think of obvious things like desks and how does the food program work or how does like these big things that are hundreds of thousands of dollars that you obviously have to buy. Um, and I was my when I was in high school, my my high school football coach made it a big point to get everybody on the team a pair of cleats on the football team to that point you just bought your own shoes some people were wearing hand-me-downs that were worn to nubs some people were just like could only afford sneakers some people were wearing brand new cleats that their parents bought from a week ago and he basically said hey look we're gonna buy everybody uniform cleats it's not gonna be but that costs 70 dollars cleats for 110 guys all of a sudden you've got a seven thousand five hundred dollar purchase coming through and that is beyond like what he's putting on his card. That's got to be approved and bid out and the whole thing. And like, as a high school kid, you're thinking, oh, whatever, we're getting nuclear, it's cool. That's nice. But that was a whole process that multiple people were looped into. And in retrospect, it's a much cooler initiative than I think I realized at the time. Yeah. Well, and you think of the, um, as someone who used to coach high school sports, those people have their day jobs and then mm -hmm. they're coming after school and they're volunteering their time. And it's like, they don't know that much about public procurement. And they're like, what? I can't just like talk to the principal and get this to happen. I have to like do all this other stuff too. Um, that, yeah, it's a challenge. Which is why I think I, I love those examples. And I, 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 I purchased athletic equipment for most of my career here at the school district. And it's one of the tougher things to procure from a rules and regulation standpoint because the end users often go rogue and do their own thing. And so I've had to find that number one, I better have a really good relationship with my coaches that they are trained and are aware of purchasing policies. But then I also need to have a stellar relationship with the suppliers because there are times where the coach may do something that is against policy and the supplier will say, hold on a second, you can't do that according to your policy. I need X, Y, and Z to happen first. And that happens because I've taken the time to develop the relationship with the supplier. And you're exactly right, Bernadette. They don't have time to do quotes and bids and figure it all out. They're coaching, they're doing what they need to be doing. And so my role is to try to make it as easy as possible for them. And I can do that through the supplier relationship process. I think that's a good segue into like one of the last 
questions we had prepared here. You did your research, you built the contract, you worked with your end users ahead of time, you got your supplier. How do you build that value add relationship over time? I'm assuming a lot of communication and, and open communication is a big piece of it, but do you have any tips for um, just cultivating that relationship over time? Absolutely. So you, you hit the nail on the head on open communication and transparency. You have to continually be communicating needs with your suppliers in order to maintain that relationship. And you also have to be very open to what they're providing you. As buyers and as procurement professionals, we get bombarded with spam and um, sales pitches and everything from A to Z that it gets a little overwhelming. And it's very easy to say, you know what, I'm busy, I don't have time. But I think in those moments, we could miss something critical and valuable to our agency if we're not paying attention. So open communication and transparency is incredibly important. I think continually to work on the strategic and cultural alignment of the, of the relationship is important. If at some point your goals shift and they are no longer aligned, you have to maybe have a conversation with yourself, with the vendor that this partnership isn't working anymore and that's okay. One thing that I learned in, in my MBA program is the idea of firing a vendor. Sometimes you have to, and sometimes you have to be fired by the vendor as well. If it doesn't work, that's all right. Find another solution and move on. You constantly have to build trust. There also has to be behavioral maturity in the relationship, making sure that no one is going for a tit for tat relationship, but something that I really, really love. And, and this idea I've seen in multiple sources um, is this idea of innovation. I think innovation in a partnership is incredibly important when it comes to supplier relationship management. And there are two types of innovation that I've tried to cultivate in my supplier relationship management. There's an open innovation and guided innovation. And an example of each is in an open innovation relationship, the vendor always has the open invitation to come to you and say, hey, I have a solution that may meet a need. It's very important that the vendor knows that this is not a sales pitch. I don't want to know about your spring catalog or what's new in the latest. I want you to come to me with something that's actually going to add value. So for example, we have sound systems in all of our schools that we've been using for years we had a vendor come to us and say, hey, we have a solution that not only takes, that, that enhances your classroom sound system, but we can link it to the security of the school as well. Is that valuable? We thought about it, we talked about it, and we're like, yes, that is valuable. Let's move forward with that. What a great partnership. We didn't know that was a solution out there. They provided it for us. So we have add value there. And then they added value because now they're a little bit more tied to our district and it was good for their bottom line. Now, a guided innovation is when I have a need and I put it out there and I say, I have this need. I don't know what this looks like, what's out there in the marketplace um, or with a partner. They then come back with a solution of how to solve the problem. And I have found that to be incredibly, incredibly helpful. So for example, before 
I did the playground surfacing solicitation that I just did. I wanted to know what else could be out there. Do I need to constantly be redoing surfacing or is there a maintenance style agreement that's possible? One of my state contracted vendors came to me and said, here's what we do. What do you think of this? It was a great solution. So I think to develop a relationship, it has to be constantly looking for win-win scenarios. It takes both sides working together to develop the relationship and to be open, honest, transparent with each other, and then really look for ways to innovate. How can we add value to our organizations collectively and what can we do to drive that? And I found when I have focused on that, that my relationships have been very solid um, and I've added a lot, a lot of value to my organization. Well, I feel like both of those examples, it's, it's grounded in respect for both parties. So it's with the guided example, it's you saying, you know what, you know more about maintenance than I do with maintenance aspects. So I wanna hear from you what you're gonna say. Um, and then in the open one, it's the supplier saying like, I'm going to tell you something when I think it really could add value. And it's like, I'm not necessarily wasting your time with the catalog. I love that way to describe it. But it's like, I have this really innovative thing that um, just, I want to let you know about it. And it's respecting your time. Absolutely. And I, and I want to add to that, there's a, a level of trust as well. I think a lot of my end users are distrusting of the suppliers because they think the supplier is only looking for ways to make a buck, right? And I have to train them that, no, 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 they're coming with a valuable solution. Let's hear the solution. And if it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit, we move on. But let's at least hear the solution and work through what that could be. Great, those are, those are great examples. You've given us a ton of awesome information here and shared so much. We'd like to flip it around a little bit and let you um, potentially shout out or acknowledge somebody who's helped you along your path, helped mentor you in the procurement space, or just someone who's, who's helped you in your life in general. Is there anyone you'd like to, to give a shout out to? Yeah, you know what? Thank you so much. We, one of the, any of your listeners will listen to this and they'll be like, oh my gosh, Jason has said the word value add so much during this podcast. And I, I think that for me, Knowing that you're a valued employee is incredibly critical to being a successful employee. And I have been very, very lucky in my career um, to have several directors, several managers um, work with me. But two in particular that I'd like to give a shout out to is my very first director um, straight out of college, Scott Alanise. He valued who I was. I wasn't just a cog in a machine that was providing output. Um, I was actually a human being that had goals and um, aspirations in my career. For goodness sakes, the man took me to Disneyland when we went to Anaheim for a conference one time. So he saw me as a real person and I just really appreciated that. And then my current director, Jared Gardner, does the same exact thing. He mentors me, he guides me when I've made mistakes he has been there to provide the resources to correct them and to learn from them. And so I think a good mentor for anyone out there who's wanting to mentor or seeking a mentor is one who values you as a human being um, and wants what's best for you and will provide you with the resources to do it. And both of those gentlemen have done that for me. Well, thank you so much, Jason. I've thoroughly enjoyed this uh, last half hour. Thanks again for joining us on today's episode. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. It's been fun. 
Thanks for listening to Decisions That Matter. This podcast is brought to you by Procurated, the leading supplier evaluation tool for procurement professionals across the U.S. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. See you again next time.